This week on Geek Explained, in our final Geek Explained spotlight of 2020, we're not just celebrating one season, we're celebrating all of them. Join me as I put the spotlight on Superman for All Seasons. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is the final Geek Explained Spotlight of 2020. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. 2020 is almost over. We're almost through. I can see 2021 at the end of the tunnel. That light is there, and hopefully it's just not just another train that's coming towards us. So, um... Superman for All Seasons is our focus for the Geek Explained Spotlight. Uh, I have a lot to say about it. It is a fantastic Superman story with some uh, complicated creators. So we're going to get into all of that. I'm going to be talking uh, pretty much full spoilers for it. So get ready for that. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of The Mandalorian. Uh, a Bill Burr palooza of an episode, I would say. I'm really excited to talk about that as well. And of course, we have this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, and that is a lot to talk about, we have to check in with what might be the most giant, giant-sized news segment that we've ever done. There is a lot of news to talk about, so let's go ahead and check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. And I'm just going to preface this with uh, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> uh, we have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. And we've got a bunch of news to talk about in all of it. So um, I am just going to pick one category at random and we'll kind of work our way around. Uh, we're going to kick things off with miscellaneous news. Uh, two big pieces of news. Uh, first off, I'm going to get the uh, the bad stuff out of the way. Uh, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk 20. 77 released this past week and boy oh boy do a lot of people have a lot of things to say about it um lots of uh terrible just awful reviews coming out about this game about how it wasn't finished about how uh, it probably needed six more months of work and further delays because the console versions specifically ps4 and xbox one from what I've seen, from gameplay that I've seen posted, is garbage. Um, apparently, uh, this is the story going around, is that CD Projekt Red, when they were uh, showing off gameplay and footage of the game, it was all the PC port of the game, and I can't believe they did that. Like... Um, I like to kind of give people the benefit of the doubt, probably to a fault at most times, but oof. Big oof on this one. Even, you can hear our neighbor's dog is even really upset about Cyberpunk 2077. Just uh, dropped balls all over the place. Uh, let me pull up here. Uh, CD Projekt Red actually put out a statement. Um, let's see. 
they did of course that whole uh big you know block of yellow text that this year has mostly been hey we're delaying the game once again so um let's see da, 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 if there is a i'm trying to see if i can pull up the statement that they made without uh da, da. where is it let me see here. oh here we go okay so it says, the statement by CD Projekt Red says, Dear gamers, first of all, we would like to start by apologizing to you for not showing the game on base last-gen consoles before it premiered and, in consequence, not showing you, not allowing you to make a more informed decision about your purchase. We should have paid more attention to making it play better on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. You could probably hear the sirens outside, something's going on, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> back to the statement. Second, we will fix we will fix bugs and crashes and improve the overall experience. The first round of updates has just been released, and the next one is coming within the next seven days. Expect more as we will update frequently whenever new improvements are ready. After the holidays, we'll continue working. We'll release two large patches, starting with patch number one in January. This will be followed by patch number two in February. Together, these should fix the most prominent problems gamers are facing on last-gen consoles. We will be informing you about the contents of each patch ahead of their release. They won't make the game on last-gen look like it's running on a high-end PC or next-gen console, but it will be closer to the experience that it is now. Lastly, or finally, we would always like everyone who, I'm sorry, this, it's, it's like mini, so I'm trying to like, here we go. Finally, we would always like everyone who buys our games to be satisfied with their purchase. We would appreciate if you would give us a chance, but if you are, wow, uh, but if you are not pleased with the game on your console and don't want to wait for updates, you can opt to refund your copy. For copies purchased digitally, please use the refund system on PSN or Xbox, respectively. For boxed versions, please first try to get a refund at the store where you bought the game. Should this not be possible, please contact us at helpmerefund at cdprojectred.com and we will do our best to help you. Starting from today, you can contact Contact us for a week up until December 21st, 2020. Humbly, Marcin Iwinski, Adam Kaczynski, uh, Adam Badowski, lots of skis, uh, Michael Nowakowski, Piotr Nilubowicz, Nibulowicz, I'm sorry, uh, Piotr Kawakowski. P.S. Uh, PC gamers will also be getting re regular updates and fixes improving the game. That's a lot. Like, um... And I mean, generally, this is this is kind of it's pardon the language. It's all bullshit. Like you knew what you were doing. Um, like I said, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but they knew full well what they were doing. They released this game way too early. The crunch was real, and I don't blame the the devs. Like I blame these heads of the company that forced their devs into crunch when they absolutely didn't need to during a pandemic, uh, knowing that when they released this game, it was not ready. Um, also the, we will, uh, we would appreciate if you give us a chance, like that's, they gave you the chance when they bought the game, man. Like, I don't know what other chance, I don't know. So, um, I, Mar I kind of count myself lucky that I ended up not, or deciding against pre-ordering the game. I was going to for a while and I decided, you know what, I'm going to wait. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, and I'm kind of glad I did, because this sounds awful. 
Um, I hope they get this all figured out. It sucks that people on, you know, base consoles are going to have to wait until at least February for a workable uh, version of the game. But I don't know. I, I really I don't have sympathy for the the heads of CG Pro, CD Projekt Red. I feel bad for the devs who are now going to have to spend the next two, three, four, six months trying to fix this. But um, this just kind of, it goes to show you, like, crunch sucks. It shouldn't be implemented. And I don't know. I don't know. It sucks. So um, on to more po positive news in the gaming world. The Game Awards were this past week as well. And... Um, Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff happened. Lots of uh, awards were had and given. Uh, Last of Us 2 swept this awards show. I'm I'm not surprised by this. I'm surprised at how many they got. Um, but it's uh, it's it's a great game. If if you want to go back and check out uh, my spoiler cast that I did with Kanan, my good brother Kanan, we did an entire like hours long spoiler cast talking everything about the game. Go back and check it out because I loved the game. I thought it was an incredible experience, um, and it it ended up winning Game of the Year and Performance of the Year went to Laura Bailey as Abby, and I love that. I absolutely love that. We talked about it before on the podcast. Um, all the stuff that Laura had to go through, Laura, like we're on first name basis, uh, but all the, all the uh, just awful things that she had to go through this year because people don't know how to be adults. Um, it was awful, and this is, you know, I would say poetic justice for that. Uh, so other awards that I definitely want to uh, draw attention to, uh, Gamer's Choice went to Ghost of Tsushima, which uh, I think might be my game of the year. I loved it that much, but I would have to think about that, and that might be something we discuss later on the podcast. Um, RPG of the year went to uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, the only correct, uh, at least in my in my view the only correct choice it's an incredible game you know you can say what you want about the ending but it's a great game uh but we got a bunch of new trailers as well as a big reveal sephiroth speaking of uh, final fantasy 7 remake is joining smash get ready to die is just what i will say to everyone else who doesn't play sephiroth um myself included i'm a little mac guy so i am ready to just get completely stomped by sephiroth whenever that happens but we got three big trailers that i want to talk about there were more than three trailers obviously but these are the ones i definitely want to talk about uh dragon age 4 is really exciting my partner's excited she saw that there was a new trailer and she immediately got excited and then was immediately uh really frustrated that there was no release date and then we came to find out it's going to be in 2022 so she's frustrated but uh, we're both excited that she gets to play another Dragon Age game. She's obsessed, um, especially with uh, the most recent game that this one is going to be a sequel to. Looks good. Looks fantastic. I'm, you know, not a Dragon Age guy, but I can respect it. Uh, Evil Dead is also getting a game very similar in looks to uh, World War Z, which is a game that I've been uh, dipping my toes into the past year. It's a fun game. It's a fun game, especially if you've got a group of friends who want to, like, just go in and... Uh, do stuff so that looks fun and then the big news of the uh, of the game awards was not a god of war ragnarok trailer but was actually a trailer for a brand new mass effect this is huge um obviously we kind of knew something was going on when they announced the uh mass effect legacy edition uh but this looks like it's going to be continuing either Shepard's or Liara's story past Mass Effect 3. We saw Liara 
or I'm assuming it's Liara, but um, I'm incredibly excited about it. It's obviously still early, early in production. There was nothing beyond the little trailer that we had, but consider me hyped for sure. I'm really excited about this. So that's going to wrap up miscellaneous. We're going to pop over to comic news. Lots of comic news this week as well. Uh, the big news of the week, I think, is that uh, we finally got confirmation that in Future State, the next Batman is not Duke Thomas like I wanted, is not Luke Fox like everyone assumed, but is in fact Tim Fox. Tim Fox recently was brought back in the pages of Batman by James Tynion IV. We knew this was coming. Um, also, I believe in the Joker War anthology, it was actually brought, he was actually brought to the forefront by John Ridley as well. So, uh, there were clues, there were clues this entire time. Um, I am not going to say I'm incredibly familiar with who Tim Fox is. I remember him vaguely from some comics a long time ago, but if you would like, we could do a Geek Explained episode on Tim Fox, just talking about who the character is. Uh, if you are interested in that, let me know. Twitter, Instagram, at Geek Explained Pod, or through email. Explained to or uh, to geekexplained at gmail.com. Uh, but this is exciting. This is a brand new character, mostly. Um that we are going to get to uh, going on, go on a ride with. So this is really exciting. Speaking of Future State, we, ha- we have been getting news for the past couple weeks about post-Future State books that are coming out. Well, we got three more. Uh, they announced three more big books that are coming out. First off, the one that uh, I think is most exciting, Batman Urban Legends, is going to be a monthly anthology book that is going to kind of take the same uh, basic... DNA of the uh, future state books that feature anthology stories within them. And uh, for the at least the first six issues, we're going to get uh, four different stories throughout the big book. I think they're going to be like something like 80 page anthologies each each uh, each month with four stories by different creative teams. One that I'm probably most excited about is a Red Hood story written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Eddie Barrows. I love both of those creators. Can't wait to see that. We're also getting a Grifter story with Matthew Rosenberg and Ryan Benjamin. A Harley Quinn story written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Laura Braga. And finally, an outsider story written by Brandon Thomas with art by Max Dunbar. This is exciting. Um, I love anthology stories, if I haven't talked about it before. Um, So I'm excited about this. We also got two villain-centric books that were announced as well. Crime Syndicate, written by Andy Schmidt with art by Kieran McCown. Um, I have no idea if I said that correctly. I'm just going to roll with it. Uh, I'm excited about this. The Crime Syndicate is... You know, we all, I've talked about before on this podcast how I don't like the, okay, su- what if Superman but evil trope. But for Ultraman, I'll do that. I'll sit through Ultraman because I enjoy Ultraman. He is made to be an evil Superman. And it's not just a story about Ultraman. We're also getting Owlman. We're getting Power Ring. We're getting Superwoman. We're getting uh, Johnny Quick. So uh, apparently, according to the um, the press release for this, first off, Unveiling a kick-ass cover uh, by Jim Chung. Super, super good stuff. The uh, synopsis reads like this. Spinning out of the pages of Dark Knight's death metal, the DC multiverse is reborn. 
spoilers, I guess, and, <laughs> and with it, a new Earth-3. Witness the true origins of the malevolent makers of mayhem known as the Crime Syndicate, as a common foe unites them. But how long can alliances last between villains like these? Also in this debut issue, witness the origin of Ultraman in our special backup story drawn by superstar artist Brian Hitch. So that's exciting. First off, I am super down for a crime... Uh, crime syndicate origin story we know the crime syndicate we know what they're about but we've never seen any origin stories like how did the crime syndicate come together anytime that we see them they're already an established unit running the world so i'm excited to see this it does look like it's a limited series so it's crime syndicate one of six i'm i'm down for this i'm really excited there's also one book that i'm not super into which is of course a joker book we knew this was coming. They can't get enough. They can't get enough Joker books. It's just how DC is. I have no idea why they need to do this. They already ha are running, you know, DC Black Label as the Joker-centric label. I don't know why they need this. Uh, it's written by James Tynan IV and Sam Johns with art by Guillaume March and Mirka Andolfo. Cool. Uh, <laughs> no uh, shade towards those creators but i'm just i don't care about this um i don't care about joker stories they need to put them on ice for a while um but one uh, silver lining that i could see out of this is that if we have joker in this book he doesn't show up in any other books fingers crossed i know it's probably a long shot and it's not going to happen but a man can dream uh, speaking of dreams, all of my dreams are coming true in March because uh, we are getting a big old Captain America 80th anniversary tribute one shot. That's going to be essentially from what the press release says, uh, taking a superstar team of artists to essentially reimagine Captain America number one as well as Avengers number four. So his debut as well as when he came back and joined the Avengers. I love this. This is going to be a big year for me when it comes to Captain America. You know how much I love Captain America. So uh, if I can give you a spoiler for next year, there's going to be a lot of Captain America stuff. <laughs> it's his 80-year anniversary, so I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. should be good stuff. Um, and expect more Captain America stuff to come. So 80 years for the, you know, big Captain America uh character it's it's gonna be a good time uh also well i just the things just clicked for me about something that we're gonna talk about in a second um we also know that finally in comics marvel is not wa wasting any time on bringing uh the aliens to their comic library uh a new alien series written by philip kennedy johnson with art by salvador la roca is coming to, is coming no uh news on whether this is going to be in the marvel universe no news on whether this is going to be any crossover whatever is going on with that but um it's coming not the most exciting uh creator team for me at least if you're excited about it awesome but um i figured i'd put it on here because you know it's only a matter of time before aliens start showing up in the marvel universe so just get ready for that now the big news of the week was the uh, giant Disney investor call that happened uh, this past Thursday, as of this recording, um, where they unveiled a bunch of new stuff. So we're going to go first with film and then with TV. Film had less stuff than TV, so we're going to just jump into it. The big winners here, I'm not going to talk about all of it. There's too much. It's too much stuff. It's too much stuff to talk about. So we're going to talk about instead... Marvel and Star Wars. I'm just, that's, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I'm going to talk about. 
my podcasts. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was very aggressive. Um, so starting off with Star Wars stuff, three big pieces of, and I guess the final one isn't technically Star Wars, but it's Lucasfilm. So the fir- the one that I'm the most excited about, Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadron is a film that is coming out directed by Patty Jenkins. There's a whole um, reveal video featuring her talking about her military background her father's military background so i'm excited about this patty jenkins is very quickly becoming a go-to blockbuster director and i'm really excited about that we also got news that taika watiti is going to be helming a new uh star wars film if not a whole new star wars franchise which is exciting i love taika watiti apparently on twitter this caught him by surprise as well which is classic Taika, but I'm excited. I love the stuff that he's done. I love the stuff that he's done in the Star Wars universe as well. If you don't know, he directed an episode of The Mandalorian. Um, I'm excited for fresh blood in the uh, in the Star Wars universe. And finally, not like I said, technically Star Wars, but still Lucasfilm, uh, we're getting another Indiana Jones movie. Indiana 5, I believe, uh, is coming up, and it is going to be directed by James Mangold, which is really exciting. I'm a big fan of James Mangold's films. Uh, Harrison Ford is back as Indy. No news on whether Shia LaBeouf will be joining him, though uh, if the last week has revealed anything. It's that Shia LaBeouf needs a lot more help than uh, being carried into an Indiana Jones franchise. But this is exciting. I'm always down for more Indiana Jones. I hope that they try to do a better job passing the torch if they are going to go that route than they did with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but we'll see. With Marvel films, lots of news. First off, uh, Black Panther 2 has uh, announced that it is not recasting T'Challa, which I think is a a chef's kiss uh, decision. It's perfect. It doesn't need to be done. There's much more uh, interesting stuff that you can draw from in Wakanda. And you made a very strong supporting cast in the first film. So you can hand the baton to any of them. Uh, So that's great. Captain Marvel 2 is going to be featuring uh, Ms. Marvel, which is really exciting. They also confirmed Nia DaCosta is directing the film, which is also very exciting. Uh, I'm excited to see Kamala meet Carol. Should be a good time. Uh, Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, is now officially uh, tying in uh, stuff from Spider-Man 3, whatever they decide to name that, as well as WandaVision. Uh, And it is going to introduce... um, I forget her name, uh, but we talked about it before. Uh, It's a young... uh, young actress who I said probably could be Zelma Stanton, but she is in fact going to be America Chavez. If you're not familiar with that character, I could also do a explained episode on her. That would be fun. She's a great character. Uh, in Thor love and thunder. This is the one that I was the most excited about. Uh, we finally know who Christian Bale is playing. We've known for a while. He's going to be playing a villain. In this film, a lot of people were saying Dario Agger, a lot of people were saying other things, but the one that I stuck with, the one that I thought for sure he was going to play is the one he is going to play, which is Gore the God Butcher. Gore is one of my favorite uh, Thor villains of the past ever, so I'm really excited about Gore. This is going to be a great, great film. Maybe this will age poorly. Who knows? But in the moment, right now, here in December of 2020, I'm really excited about Christian Bale as Gore. Speaking of December, uh, next year we are apparently getting a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which makes sense. I mean, they're already going to be together filming uh, Volume 3, so might as well do a fun thing for the fans. Uh, We do know that Ant-Man and the Wasp is getting its third film entitled Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. 
which is, in fact, going to have Kang as the main antagonist. Quantumania means there's going to be a lot of time travel, which makes sense to bring Kang in. No word on whether he's going to be a joke villain or if he is going to last. We'll see. Uh, They also noted that there's been a bit of a recasting. Cassie has been recasted. No idea why, um, but... Apparently, you know, this is probably going to lead to her becoming stature. Who knows? I love, by the way, all of the teases of Young Avengers slash Champions that might be coming soon. So be prepared for that, for sure. Um, We do also know that the big news coming out of this when it comes to films is that Fantastic Four is happening. Marvel Studios is finally getting down on a Fantastic Four film, which I was really excited about until I found out it was directed by John Watts. Uh, If you don't recognize the name, John Watts has been directing the Spider-Man films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Homecoming and Far From Home. I loved Homecoming. I did not love Far From Home. So I think that there were better directors available. But... That being said, um, I'm willing to give this a chance. I'm willing to uh, be proven wrong. We'll just have to see. No casting, no nothing, no release date. We just know that Fantastic Four is in production. So moving our way and moseying our way onto TV, uh, let's see, one quick non-Disney, non-Marvel, non-Star Wars TV thing, Uh, Superman and Lois is still a show that is happening. And we finally got the reveal of Tyler Hoechlin's new Superman suit. We have been talking about it for months at this point that he was getting a new one. It looks good. It looks good. It's Photoshopped to hell, so we're going to have to wait to see how it looks in motion in the actual series. Uh, I have notes. I think it's a big uh, step up from his previous suit. But uh, I definitely have notes. I think that the sleeves look awkward. The sleeves look more like gauntlets when it gets to the end of them. Uh, The S-Shield should be bigger. I wish he had trunks, but I know that that's not what they're going for here. Also, the the cape and the the collar is very high up. Gives me uh, very much Brandon Routh Superman Returns vibes, which isn't terrible. It's just not my preferred version of the suit. I think if they had gone with something a little bit closer to Routh Superman from uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, it would have benefited them greatly but i recognize that they wanted to make these two distinct so otherwise i really enjoy it i think it looks great moving on into all of the disney plus stuff we're gonna go once again with star wars first and uh we got a whole bunch of announcements for shows so uh gonna go through the stuff that we already know about Andor, we knew it was coming it is officially uh continuing on um the Bad Batch as well, that animated series focusing on the characters that were introduced in the opening arc, I think. It was the opening arc of uh, the final season of Clone Wars are also moving forward, and we could probably expect that at the soonest or at the earliest next year. Um, besides that... Oh, and Kenobi. Kenobi, we already knew, was in production, uh, but they announced that Hayden Christensen is returning. Um, probably as Darth Vader, probably as Force Ghost Anakin for, like, visions or flashbacks or anything, but I'm excited. Um, Hayden Christensen's been through a lot, so I'm excited to see him come back to the uh, the franchise that basically made him and also ruined him at the same time. Uh, be nice, fans of Star Wars. He deserves better. I'm, I know most of you know, but some of you don't. Um... Can you hear that? 
Yeah, you can probably hear that's uh, that's our roommate's cat. Um, so lots of guests in this episode. I bet you weren't expecting that. Lots of animal guests, but we've got them. Uh, we also got announcements for a couple new shows. First off, Lando uh, is getting a Lando Calrissian is getting a spinoff. No word on whether this is going to be Old Man Lando or whether this is going to be uh, Young Man Lando with Donald Glover. I would prefer the latter, but we'll see. Uh, we're also getting a droid story, which are. I'm assuming, whether animated or not, uh, focusing on C-3PO and R2-D2. Uh, we also know that there is a uh, an anthology series, an anime anthology series called Star Wars Visions, which I'm really excited about. And then for live-action stuff, they announced three new shows. First off, Rangers of the New Republic. We knew this was coming. Um, this is the Cara Dune, Cara Dune, whatever uh, spinoff that they are going to run with for some reason uh we're also getting ahsoka we do know that ahsoka is going to be a full-on show now we knew this we knew there was uh the opportunity and the potential for this so they officially announced it but the one that i'm excited about is called the acolyte which is basically from what i understand it's going to be in the high republic era which already cool uh but this is going to be essentially from what i understand a murder mystery thriller i am a sucker for a mystery I am a sucker for a good murder mystery. So I am very excited about this. I can't wait to see what goes on with this show. Next up, finally, the end of our news segment. We're uh, almost half an hour in, and we are still in the news segment. Like I said, giant-sized. Um, Marvel shows. Marvel shows, we've got a bunch of updates, some announcements. Uh, we're kicking things off with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which finally has a release date we got a brand new trailer looks great as well as a release date of march 19th i t i mentioned this earlier it makes total sense uh captain america number one debuted in uh march of 1941 they're gonna release this show in march of 2021 80th anniversary just makes sense i love it i love it so much synergy really excited about that we got a new wandavision trailer as well still looks great can't wait for that in january it's only a couple weeks away now or I guess at this point, it's a month away. Damn. Uh, but it's close. Uh, we also got the first ever trailer for Loki, which looks really fun and looks exactly like we've talked about before with him, you know, essentially being recruited by uh, the Time... It's not the Time... It's like the Time Variance Agency. It's like TVA, I think. Um, but he's basically going to be an agent for them, doing things throughout time, which looks fun. Got our first look at Miss Marvel. Looks great. There's nothing that we can... They they haven't done any of the effects stuff. So it's just shots of kids and families and paraphernalia, which is fine. Uh, we do know that She-Hulk is move, moving forward and Tatiana Maslany, no matter how much she uh, denies it on Twitter, is playing She-Hulk. Uh, but the news that I thought was really exciting was that Tim Roth is returning as Emil Blonsky slash Abomination. I'm really excited about this because, first off, uh, Tim Roth was one of the best parts of the Edward Norton um, Incredible Hulk movie. Super excited about that. And also, the chance to see uh, Abomination with today's CGI in 2008. It's a little rough. It's a little rough sometimes. But uh, I'm really excited about this. Fingers crossed that they evolve him and he gets his fun little uh, fish ears. That should be good. Uh, we also know that the uh, rumored Nick Fury show that we've talked about before is actually Secret Invasion. And we are getting both uh, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury as well as um, Ben Mendelsohn's 
uh, I can't remember. Talos, Talos. Uh, we're getting his uh, scroll back. They're going to be working together. We have no idea with what or what the reason is. Uh, we also got the first trailer for What If, which is the animated series, you know, detailing how the MCU could be different, uh, which also features, as far as I know, uh, Chadwick Boseman's final um, final work as an actor before his uh, before his passing. Really excited about that. His episode is basically What If T'Challa Was Star-Lord? So that's fun. Uh, we also got the announcement that Ironheart is a show that is happening. Again, they're, they're, they are really... I'm putting this down. No one's been talking about this, so I'm just going to say this for posterity. Young Avengers or Champions is coming. It's, just, it's happening. It's going to happen. Just wait. It is happening. You know, a year, two years down the line when they announce it, I'm going to say I told you so, and you will not be able to say a damn thing. But this is exciting, especially because the other show that was announced was Armor Wars. Uh, Don Cheadle is returning. We hope that Justin Hammer is returning as well. Fingers crossed. Um, but this is basically adapting the... Uh, the classic comic uh, of the same name, which was basically like, what if the worst people in the world got a hold of Tony Stark's technology? So you have to bring Justin Hammer back. You have to, right? Um, but I think this could really easily cross over with Ironheart, perhaps start, you know, kick off that whole show. I'm sure there will be like a teaser, depending on which one gets released first, of Don Cheadle going to Riri Williams and being like, hey, why'd you steal that stuff? And her being like, no, I made this stuff. And then, you know, we might get a sidekick thing. Or they might be partners. Who knows? But um, this sounds cool. And I'm glad that Don Cheadle is doing something, because he's fantastic. Uh, and then finally, uh, we are getting a series of animated shorts starring Groot. Baby Groot specifically, as it has been... Uh, listed in the what's it called the twitter press release for this but it's basically going to be called i am groot it's a series of shorts with baby group what more can you ask for so this sounds fun um overall just too much stuff just too much stuff um this past week was huge and i am going to just put it out there now um this is going to be just with scheduling and stuff probably the last uh news segment i'm gonna do because i'm trying to get all of the rest of this month's stuff recorded so that i can spend christmas just doing family stuff just kind of relaxing so uh next couple episodes won't be getting a new segment just be prepared for that when those episodes uh launch uh but if we had to go out on a new segment might as well go out on probably the biggest news segment we've done so um yeah that's gonna wrap up this giant size news segment lots of stuff i'm excited about some stuff i'm not so excited about uh, but that is going to bring us right on into the main event of this episode, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is our final Geek Explained Spotlight of the Year on Superman for All Season. <laughs> are back with the final Geek Explained Spotlight of 2020. This is our monthly series where I take a specific comic, graphic novel, or big old crossover event and just talk about why I love it. 
Uh, we've covered a bunch of stuff this year, um, some of my favorite comics of all time, and it only felt right to send off 2020 with a story about uh, overcoming adversity, which I think everyone can relate to at this point regardless of your walk of life 2020 has just been that year for everybody so um we are going to be putting the spotlight on superman for all seasons and before we get into it uh, i'm just going to throw this up right now uh i am going to be discussing spoilers i have read this book so many times um, even if I wanted to do like a non-spoiler thing, things would just slip out. I've read it so many times. I love the book. I really do think if you haven't read this book yet, um, I won't be able, even though I'm going to talk about it at length, I won't be able to do this story justice. So do yourself a favor, go find it, whether it's on Comixology, whether you go to your LCS, um, pick it up. It's a wonderful story. It's a great story about Superman. It's a great story about finding your way in the world. And it's a story that I think is relevant and that everyone could uh, could use right about now. Um, but speaking of Superman stories, a lot of the times um, you kind of find this distinction when it comes to Superman stories. You either find that they're Superman stories or they're Clark Kent stories. And I know that sounds really... Um, oversimplified and i recognize that but if you kind of just looked at superman stories in general a lot of times they're either you know sci-fi hero fighting some otherworldly beast or kid from kansas learning to make his way in the big city um i have always kind of drifted towards the latter of the two uh as someone who has moved around a lot as someone who had to you know, try and find where I fit in, in different places, that side of Clark Kent always spoke to me, also, you know, the fact that, you know, he was of two worlds, that he was constantly trying to find a happy medium on which world he felt closer to, I also, uh, really related to that growing up, and one of the stories that I, absolutely love in a story that I think kind of touches on everything about that about all aspects of the character is Superman for all seasons now before we get into the book I want to talk about the creators a little bit I'm going to start off with the art Tim Sale is a madman <laughs> we've talked about Tim Sale uh, more than once on this podcast his art is incredible he is a long time staple of the comic genre and he has drawn characters ranging from uh, Batman, Superman, to Spider-Man, to the Hulk, all over the place. Tim Sale is one of those prolific comic book artists that as soon as you see a piece of art that he's done, you can immediately identify it as one of his. And what Tim Sale really brings to this book is not just his... Um, what I would say is his kind of instantly recognizable style, but also a sense of nostalgia. A lot of the scenes that take place in Smallville have these very, uh, not, not, maybe, maybe it could be described that way, like, uh, sepia tones, very, uh, very idyllic. And when you get to the city scapes, they're very, um, 
they're very stark in contrast. Um, Superman kind of jumps off the page when it comes to the cities because they don't feel as um, as interesting, I guess. I don't want to say as interesting, but you can tell that the effect that Superman has on the city is uh, like a pop of color, like it is on the page. Whereas when he is back in uh, Smallville, it's very um, idyllic. Uh, he blends in a little bit easier because that's his home. That's where he comes from. Uh, the colors on this also are incredible. You know, a lot of that nostalgia feel comes from the colors that are so beautifully put onto every single page. Uh, you can definitely see that there are a lot of different influences when it comes to this version of uh this version of uh, Superman, he is that giant of a man who can be both intimidating and awkward at the same time. Um, shout out to Matthew Draper as well. I, I guess I'm giving him the full name, not Matt Draper. He's Matthew Draper. Um, for, at the same time, enlightening me and completely ruining uh, Tim Sale's Superman for me because anytime I look at him now, Matt uh, basically told me he looks like a thumb. And when you look at Clark Kent's face, whether he's in um, street clothes or a Superman uh, costume, he looks like a thumb. His head just looks like a thumb, and I can't unsee it, and I will never forgive Matt for doing that to me. That being said, his Superman is kind of alongside, I would say, the kind of uh, Frank Quitely style of Superman, who's, you know, a gigantic man, but he's not, you know ripped and shredded and you know cut out of porcelain he's just a big dude yeah he's got muscles yeah he's got mass but he's not you know someone who trains constantly it's just his um his physique is peak performance because of his superpowers and because of his physiology and speaking of physiology um just going from the amount of um uh variety when it comes to characters their designs their um their the silhouettes they cut all of them are very distinct you can pick each and every one of them out of any given panel um quick shout out as well to uh, lex luthor in this book who throughout the book from the first time we see him to the last time we see him is balding and you see because this does take place over the course of a year, essentially this is a Superman year one kind of story. Uh, Lex's hair is slowly falling out more and more as the story goes on. And it's just, it's a small touch, but it's something that I love. And it really speaks to just how good Tim Sale is as an artist. And unfortunately, this is where the uh, the story turns a little bit, and we have to have a conversation about Jeff Loeb. Um, Jeff Loeb is the writer of this story. Jeff Loeb um, has done a lot of comics over the decades. He and Tim Sale were kind of, you know, an item when it comes to uh, create, uh, creative works for a long while. Uh, I remember growing up, you know, it was always Jeff, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. That was the team. Uh, they did the Marvel Colors series, they did Batman Long Halloween, Dark Victory, all of that, and uh, Jeff Loeb in recent years has been um, exposed as being kind of a garbage person, which 
colors, no pun intended, you know, how a lot of people, myself included, look at his previous works. Some of my favorite comics of all time are Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale joints. And though I can look at them and look at the gorgeous Tim Sale art without any kind of guilt or any kind of complicated feelings, Jeff Loeb, anytime I see his name on a book that I grew up loving, that I count among some of my favorites of all time, it hurts my heart a little bit. Uh, I am an Asian-American guy, and the treatment of Asian-American people, Asian-American characters, Asian-American stories by Jeff Loeb that has come to light in in recent years, um, really, it bothers me a lot, especially when I have a hard time separating creators from their works. Um, It makes looking at some of those works a lot harder. And I think that, you know, you can't run away from that. Anytime that you uh, look at a book that has Jeff Loeb's name on it, that is also attached. His personal views, his, uh, his ideology, his whatever you want to call it, is attached to that book in some way, shape, or form. Which made revisiting it for this uh, for this episode a really strange read. Um, it's odd, kind of thinking about all of the times that I had read through this book and absolutely loved it and swore by Jeff Loeb as a creator, and now knowing what I know about the man, um, not being able to look at books like this, at pieces of art like this, uh, through my rose-colored glasses anymore. But a lot of times we kind of, at least I know I do, um, I try to find the good in things. I try to find the positives, almost to a fault, if you ask some people that, uh, that I'm friends with. But this is not me saying, oh, you know, you got to give him a chance. You got to separate the art from the artist because I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that a terrible person wrote a hell of a Superman story. And the story that is here, the story that is in these pages, the story that is about one man learning to come to terms with himself is an incredibly relevant, an incredibly touching, and an incredibly important story for people to learn. Um, I struggle with, you know, trying to, you know, give praise to stuff that's created by terrible people. Um, I am one of the kids growing up who was a Harry Potter kid and have had to really adjust my view on something that was a an important piece of my childhood because the creator of that important piece is another terrible person. But going through this book uh, this time around, I found a lot of things that touched me that didn't really, uh, I guess, I didn't really catch beforehand. The story became something that was a little bit more, um, uh, not important, but a little bit more relevant to me. And I am going to try to do my best 
to let you know about how good this book is, about how good the story is, and about how good Superman stories can be, regardless of if, you know, they're written by terrible people or not. So, um, again, I am going to uh, say right here, Jeff Loeb is an awful person. My mind has not changed on that at all, but Superman for All Seasons is worth a read. And um, going through it this time around, it became a much more personal story to me. And I hope to... um, uh, I hope to be able to tell you why that was so uh let's go ahead and just dive into it i know i went on kind of a personal tangent there so um let's roll with this basically um as i stated before this is kind of a superman year one situation except way better than the frank miller superman year one because it's a very large low bar uh this is an origin story for superman detailing how he decides to become a superhero moving to metropolis meeting lois and lex and jimmy and meeting all of these people and finding his place in the world but what's great about this story is it's not just clark's story using the tools of perspective and nostalgia uh the story which is separated into four parts are is essentially narrated by the most important people in Clark's life at different points in Clark's uh, first year as Superman. Uh, the first part, which is uh, takes place in spring, of course, this story being called Superman for all seasons is going to go through all four seasons, so each part is designated by its own season. And part one starts in spring beginning of the year and the perspective for this part of the uh of the story is from pa kent uh this story basically talks about smallville and the idea of comfortability be clashing with the uh the idea of change and growing up and for clark growing up doesn't mean just graduating from high school and trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life it means he is developing powers and abilities that he had never had before and doesn't know how to quite how to deal with. Um, what I love about this initial uh, this initial quarter of the story is Clark feels lost. Clark has been in this place for his entire life. And as he is coming to grips with the idea of there might be something else besides the life that Jonathan Kent has built for him, he gets a little scared. And I am very well acquainted with that idea. Um, Growing up, I was, uh, I've talked about it before on the podcast, I was a military brat. And moving around a lot, I never really got to really call a place my hometown. Uh, That was until we moved to Tucson, Arizona in 2004. Um, We spent 12 years, or I spent, I spent myself, spent 12 years in uh, Tucson, Arizona. And that is the closest that I could ever come to calling a hometown. I grew up in that town, and Tucson is a very small town compared to its sister cities like uh, Phoenix, uh, Flagstaff, those kind of big old, like, what you think of when you think of Arizona. Um, 
not a whole lot of people think of Tucson when you think of Arizona, unless it's like as the butt of a joke for a Family Guy episode. And Tucson can feel very small just looking at it from the outside in, but it feels even smaller when you're living there. And I, you know, was someone who was kind of accustomed to getting itchy feet. You know, I, for most of my life, never stayed at a job for more than two years because I would get bored or I'd get complacent and I had to move on. And I think that has to do a lot with, you know, having to move every three to four years throughout my entire childhood. And so growing up in Tucson felt incredibly slow. Um, Living in one place felt very weird. I got to know the streets. I got to know the people. I became a regular at places, which is the weirdest thing to me. I don't know why becoming a regular at any one place is weird, but when you walk into a place and the staff there say your name or they know your order, uh, I still get weirded out by it. Uh, But that's just me. Um, And here, Clark is starting to kind of, you know, as I said, get itchy feet. Um, he knows that Smallville is his home, but he is starting to uh, develop abilities and starting to outgrow it. Uh, the opening scene is of him helping out Pa with a large rock, like a, a small boulder that is blocking the way in uh, for his tractor. And Pa can't get it open or can't get it out of the ground. And Clark just kind of reaches down and lifts it up with one hand. And Pa is having just as hard of a time dealing with the change that is going on with Clark as Clark is. He's having this realization that Clark, you know, he came from another place. He's got these things that they can't explain, and Smallville might be too small for him. He has this great conversation with, um, with Ma where he's basically like, you know, he's changing. And he says, and I'm just going to read this because I love this. Um, Ma says, what do you mean, Jonathan? And he says, we we both knew that one day we'd have to face this, Martha. I just didn't think it would be so soon. Clark has had time to think about our talk. I don't regret for one moment telling him about the rocket and what he can do that other boys can't. He's taking it all in stride, maybe too well. And Ma says, I don't see it like that. Clark has always been able to work things out for himself. And Jonathan says, there's so much, there's just so much we don't know, Martha. Every day he becomes stronger with powers and abilities that don't seem to have any limitations. What are we dealing with here? He's coming to terms with with the fact that his son might be more than his son. And when Martha, you know, says, you know, Jonathan Kent, you don't have enough faith in Clark or in us. We brought him up right. And he says, you know, maybe we did, but, you know, I don't know. And there's this amazing scene or there's this amazing moment here where uh, Martha says, you know, Jonathan, you don't think Clark can hear us because they're, you know, sitting outside and Clark's in his room. And Jonathan says, uh, the boy's asleep. Anyways, his bedroom is clear on the other side of the house. How could he possibly hear us? And the scene or the, the, um, the panel that that ends on is Clark laying awake in his bed, having heard the entire conversation because his, his hearing has developed. And so Clark is starting to uh, realize that there might be life outside of Smallville. Um, He's kind of, you know, wrestling with that. He's dealing with the idea that, you know, Lana 
and Pete, who are his best friends, kind of do seem more than, you know, Smallville has to offer. Um, and you don't really know what Clark is going to decide upon until something happens. Um, he starts to kind of get x-ray vision through the um through the diner that they're sitting in scissors that used to cut his hair just fine all of a sudden break on trying to cut his hair he runs faster than a locomotive he runs home and he's scared he's terrified and uh pa kent who hasn't you know who has been struggling with this idea of change this entire time you know sees clark standing alone out in the field you know, just kind of at a loss and not knowing what to do. And um, Pa kind of, you know, is told by Martha, like, y- you know what you need to do. You need to go talk to him. And he's like, yeah, I know. And so uh, Pa goes out to the field. And the first thing that Clark says to him is, Pa, I'm scared. Oh, I'm going to try not to get emotional about this. But um, Clark kent is superman and it's kind of um humbling to hear clark kent say that he's scared of anything but this is at a time where clark is not just not afraid of the future not afraid of you know anything outside of smallville he's afraid of himself he's afraid of the things he can do he's afraid of what might happen to him and the narration here um is incredible i'm just gonna read it Uh, There are things about being a father I'd remember for all my days. How I held him in my arms as a baby. Awkward to start, like carrying a chicken and then finally getting the hang of it. The morning I found him standing up in his crib for the very first time, just busting with pride with with a smile as big as the moon. Watching him push past the screen door and toddle out on his own into the yard, talking to the dog and the ants and the porch swing. The more I thought about those things, the more I thought of Clark as a normal boy. But my son... Ooh, wow. Uh, but my son could bend steel with, in his bare hands. And as much as I wanted to tell him that all the answers in this life and the next could be found in Smallville, all I could promise Clark was that his mother and I would always love him. Always. And the, the page is just three panels. And it's just Ma watching from the porch, uh, a you know, far a wide shot of, you know, over her shoulder seeing Clark and Pa talking in the uh, in the field. And then you see like the time pass because the last um, the last panel is obviously something like sunset. They've been out there all day and, you know, it never explicitly states what Pa said to Clark. But um, both of them kind of come to grips with the idea of change in that conversation because they hug. And Ma's, like, crying, and I'm crying, like, just talking about it right now. Um, Change is a scary thing. I have always had a really hard time uh, dealing with change. You know, from the littlest things of, like, oh, I have to, you know, switch coffee creamers because, you know, I'm lactose intolerant, and I gotta, you know, find a coffee creamer that doesn't have lactose. Uh, All the way to, you know, moving out of state and away from my family you know change is always hard and i've had a hard i've always had a hard time dealing with that so um seeing clark struggle with it was um was uh pretty uh, pretty touching to be honest um 
but the big uh, moment, the big kind of uh, light bulb moment that happens in this is the tornado. Uh, a tornado is about to rip through Smallville, and this is the first kind of big natural disaster that Clark has ever dealt with, and the first, and certainly the first that he's dealt with uh, with all these new powers. And Clark, you know, after being kind of picked up into the air by this tornado, uh, immediately kind of jumps into action on instinct. He's rescuing people from Smallville. He, you know, saves this one gas station attendant, you know, from the tornado blowing up the gas station. Um, you know, he s protects and saves as many people as he can while the tornado rips through the town. And when he finally gets back to the farm, you know, it is in tatters. The tornado ripped through there just like it did in Smallville. And Clark, you know, runs up to the house and Ma and Pa and their dog, you know, come out of the, uh, the cellar and everybody's okay. Um, it's just one of those scary moments. And yeah. <laughs> so in the aftermath of this, um, Clark is kind of, you know, helping clean up the farm and he has this look in his eye when he talks to uh, his parents. He says, you know, you should see what it looks like in town. I can't help thinking I could have done more. And right then, that moment is when not just Clark, but Pa knows that there is, you know, the path before Clark is clear, if not exactly uh, mapped out for him, you know. Clark ends up going and, you know, helping out at the local, uh, local chapel. He talks to the, um, the, uh, the priest there and he's basically like, you know, what if one person could like have stopped all of this, you know, and he's just like, you know, we, and he says this great line where, uh, the priest says, we each do what we're able to Clark, some less, some more, but when the almighty sets a course, there's nothing any man can do about it. And Clark's like, I know, but what if there was one? And so, like, there's this moment where he's just, he's had a crisis of faith, where he's finally realized, I can do more than what Smallville is offering. I can do more than what I can achieve here in Smallville. And after he graduates from high school with Lana and Pete, he has this, um, this get together or he basically has this, you know, nighttime rendezvous with Lana where he reveals his powers to her and he takes her flying above Smallville. Um, it's this, oh, it's so cool. Um, he touches down after, you know, revealing this to her and he's basically like, I don't know how or why, but I have these powers. They're like special gifts. And I, if I can find the way, I'm not sure to help as many people as possible. And Lana cups him off, and she's like, in order to do that, you have to leave Smallville. And he's like, I can come back. I, I'm, I'm going to come back. And she plants a big old kiss on him. Uh, the next panel is Clark. He's in this really ill-fitting suit, this ugly ill-fitting suit. I love it. Um, where he's kind of saying his goodbye to Ma, and he's basically kind of going over. You know, Ma basically tells him, you can do anything you set your mind to as long as you believe it with all your heart. And he goes out to say, uh, to say bye to John, Jonathan. And the narration here is amazing. And he's like, the narration from Jonathan is, my stomach rumbled all day long. Martha and I had done our job. We brought him upright. And all that meant to me now was our only son was old enough to say goodbye. 
And this next, uh, this next panel is a two-page spread. Um, I cry every time I see it. Uh, not just because it's beautiful art, which it is. Tim Sale, like I said, is a legend. Um, but it's just this amazing shot of this amazing two-page spread where Clark and John are standing in the same spot where they had that conversation. Um, and this incredible sunset is, you know, casting all different colors across the sky. And um, Clark says, do you ever get tired of looking at that? And Jonathan says, no, never have. Guess I never will. And in that, it really encapsulates what all this first part is about. You know, Clark wonders, you know, is, you know, what wonders aloud. He says, do you ever get tired of looking at that? Basically saying, like, do you think you know, this, you're ever going to change. And Pa is comfortable where he is. He knows what his life is about. He knows where he is meant to be, but he also knows that Clark is meant to go elsewhere. And one of the reasons that I get really emotional when I see this, you know, two-page spread is that Tucson has some of the most amazing sunsets. Um, it's just incredible. Like, I, one of the things I miss about Tucson, and granted, I don't miss a whole lot about Tucson. <laughs> you know, it's easy to look at your hometown through rose-colored glasses, but you also have to look at it as, you know, the place that you left. And one of the things I always loved about Tucson was the sunsets. Um, I miss them out here in, uh, in Los Angeles. It is not even close to the same, and not definitely not at the same frequency. But this two-page spread reminds me of the sunsets in Tucson. And I distinctly remember, you know, seeing my last uh, sunset before I moved out to L.A. And it's not like, oh, I never went back to Tucson. I've gone back plenty of times. But the day before I left, seeing that last sunset felt like it was turning a page. And it's the same thing that is happening for Clark here. As I give you some ASMR with turning a page. Uh, we cut to Metropolis where, you know, a little bit of time has passed and uh, it's big. Metropolis is huge. Um, the narration goes, you know, time passes. The country mouse leaves Smallville and becomes a city mouse. Never cared for Metropolis much. Can't see the horizon unless you're flying over it. Maybe that's why Char or Clark chose to settle there after all. And we see Clark in his new role as a Daily Planet reporter. Uh, Perry White is do his, doing his best Great Caesar's Ghost. We get our first look at uh, Lois and Jimmy, which um, I just love these versions of the characters. Um, Lois, I like to think, is always has a bit of an edge to her. There's, It's very easy to be like, oh, she's the damsel who always falls out of places. But... Lois is a badass, and it really is sold in this story how much of a badass she is. Um, and at this time, she's also dating one Lex Luthor. And so she basically, you know, Clark is trying to ask her around. Lois is like, ah, I got a date with Lex. And so we cut to the date with Lex, and or I guess after the date with Lex, and Lex is, you know, trying to invite her upstairs. And Lois is like, ah, you know, it was fine, but I've got an early deadline and, you know, and at that exact moment, Superman whooshes by. Uh, Lex's hat gets knocked off of his head. You see that he's balding, and she's like, and you've got a hat to catch. And you can tell already that she's smitten with Superman. 
Uh, but the ending of the spring portion, part one of the story, is this little kid who is, you know, chasing after his cat on a ledge because, of course, it's Metropolis. Kids have to be on ledges. Uh, and he loses his balance and falls off, but is caught and put right back on the ledge. And the kid goes, wow, cool costume. <laughs> I don't know why that was my kid voice. Wow, cool costume. Um and Superman shows up, and this is the first time we see him in, you know, all of his glory in the Superman costume. He says, thanks, my mom made it for me. And I've talked before on this podcast how much I love that. Um, but yeah, and then the last page is, you know, Jonathan narrating once again, saying, at the end of the day, I'm not sure we're all that different from our, any other parents. We worry about our son, that he's eating right, that he's making friends, that he'll stay out of harm's way, even if he is Superman. And... We see Lex, you know, drinking his wine, watching Superman fly by, and there is the moment that is going to change the course of Lex Luthor and Superman's life forever. So that brings us to part two, which is summer. I'm both I'm holding my notes in one hand and holding the comic in the other hand, so give me a give me just a moment. Um but honestly, like the thing that always rings true with me about spring, about part one, is this idea of like, you know, you're moving away and you're chasing your dream and you're trying to find your place in the world. Um, I felt the exact same way. You know, I came out here to pursue acting and it felt very much like, you know, I had done everything that I wanted to do in Tucson and I wanted I wanted to do more. And coming out here and kind of being, you know, going from the very small pond to the great big ocean that is Los Angeles, it was incredibly daunting. It still is from a day, on a day-to-day -day basis. It is all the time. But getting that moment of, you know, Clark settling into the big city and like being like, whoa, this is way bigger than I thought it would be. I felt that same way. I felt like I was moving from Smallville to Metropolis coming out here uh, to L.A. in 2016. And... It wasn't until I, you know, had lived there for a little bit that I really found things that I loved and things that I would pursue for, you know, up until right now as I'm recording this. So uh, part one, spring has always spoken to me and part two, summer continues that uh, continues that feeling. So the perspective for summer is Lois, which I love. I uh, it continues on with the uh, most important people in Clark's life. The first person was uh, Jonathan Kent. The next one is Lois Lane. Um, Lois's narration at the beginning here is great, too. She says, Perry once told me, Lois, a reporter lives by three rules. Believe none of what you hear, half of what you see, and everything you write. And we get this big, bold, two-page spread of Superman flying through Metropolis. And she says, I'm a reporter, or a newspaper man, as Perry would put it. A damn good one by anyone's standards, and mine are pretty high. I like Perry's rules. They make sense to me. Strike that. They made sense to me. Because now those rules fall under the same category. It's all BS before Superman. And I, I love that. I love that, you know, the double meaning, of course, but there is this, you know, life-changing moment that superman represents of before superman and after superman before superman metropolis was just the big city after super after superman metropolis became home to a superhero 
and we really get to see the beginnings of Superman versus Lex Luthor in this story. Uh, the first big, you know, action piece is Superman stopping this gigantic rocket. Like, it is ridiculous how big this rocket is. The two-page spread for this is fantastic as well, and it really sells just how small Superman is compared to this thing and how strong he is that he's able to hold it back. And not just hold it back, but push it back up into the atmosphere and throw it. Um... We come to find out that this is some kind of like nuclear warhead and Superman is able to throw it into uh, or out of orbit before it explodes. And it's followed up by him looking at the world. And this is peak Superman for me. Just this moment of the world looking so small and Superman kind of not looming over it, but kind of watching over it saying, you know, that classic thing that was always present in the uh, closing scene of the Christopher Reeve movies where he was like, you know, I'm always going to be there. I'll always be watching over you. Um, and I love that. And so uh, I just, I love this narration. Basically it's, uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. She says, there's this man. It's amazing for someone who makes a living using words, how often they can fail you. Sticking his neck out for everyone, way, way out. It's almost like he knows if we've been bad or good, so be good, for goodness sake. And I'm sorry, I've been a reporter far too long to start believing in Santa Claus. And yet, when my sister Lucy and I were little girls, there was, there was someone we both believed in. He was dashing and rode a white horse and had a gold crown and cape. A cape. His name was Prince Charming. Over the years, I'm disappointed to say that I've met a lot of men. Some were dashing, some rode white horses, some even wore gold crowns, referencing Lex Luthor. But to wear a cape and not look stupid, that's somebody interesting. And like you can tell that, again, Lois is smitten with Superman already. We see that uh, Superman, you know, dives underwater and he finds the submarine that launched the, uh, the nuclear strike and... Apparently, aboard the submarine is Lois Lane, of course, because that's who Lois Lane is. Uh, Lex shows back up to, um, or shows up to the Metropolis Air Base, where Superman is just, you know, just casually lifting a submarine. And he's like, hey, uh, you might want to back up. I'm going to set this down. I don't want anybody to get hurt. And he rips open this thing just with the greatest of ease. And at that moment, one of the... Um, one of the terrorists has Lois with a, you know, at gunpoint, you know, and Lex tries to, you know, postulate. And he's just like, you know, I'll handle this Lois. I can negotiate with anyone, even terrorists. And at that exact moment, Superman zips in, takes the guy's gun and just crunches it. And so Lois actually at that moment is able to disarm the guy, basically knocks him out. And, um, Superman is just like cool like he you can see that he is also like smitten I mean we already saw that Clark was already smitten with Lois but there's a certain respect there uh so Lex is just like oh my god you dainty little thing you you know you survived let me drive you home and Lois is like uh actually I was uh kind of hoping Superman could give me a ride and Superman you know picks her up and he flies off with her and, you know, after basically saying, uh, if I find out that your fingerprints were anywhere near what happened today, you know, implying like you and I are going to have words and he flies off with her 
and basically um and i love this gag where he sets her down on the roof of the daily planet lois rides the elevator down and she gets out of the elevator and clark's stepping out of what looks like a uh yeah it says here supply room and he's just like oh hey what i miss you know it's that classic superman trope where he's just like uh you know i'm i'm you know living these double lives and he you know looks very um george reeves-esque which i appreciate as well uh and this this part speaks to me because you know because of the next uh, the next scene that we get overall in this uh in this specific story if not you know the entire story but in this specific part uh, the action is always secondary to the human drama that is Clark Kent kind of trying to find his way in the world. And the next scene, you know, finds Clark, you know, having gotten a couple groceries, heading into his apartment. And immediately when he gets inside, you know, everything is cast in this blue. And he goes and he lays down on his uh, on his bed. And what I would say, you know, even though it's uh, it's clearly a studio apartment, it's very roomy for, you know, a big city he lays and it's this great callback to the uh, panel of him laying in his room in Smallville. And it looks just as small, um, but it's this idea of loneliness in the big city. And when I first moved out here, it was um, it was very easy to feel lonely. Uh, I was very fortunate to be able to move out here with my partner and the two of us got to kind of experience this together she had never lived anywhere outside of tucson and so this was almost her clark kent uh moment where she was like getting used to oh my god there are so many things and so it was um coming out here learning you know the big city is very different than tucson los angeles could not be farther from what tucson is uh it was hard the first year you know, trying to figure out where do I fit in in here? Where do I, you know, find value? Or where do I, you know, show off the value that I believe I have? And, you know, I went from, you know, working my day job, you know, working at the restaurant to trying to figure out, you know, um, you know, what am I going to do? How do I find an agent? How do I go to auditions? Like f- learning all of this stuff, you know, on the fly and basically learning all of it on the job as I go was incredibly uh exciting but at the same time super lonely uh because you know we didn't know anybody out here and we needed to you know learn and meet people and now i mean you know we're four years on and i can very comfortably say we have friends out here that we didn't have back in tucson but there is always that inherent feeling of loneliness and that inherent feeling of missing home when you are away for any, you know, any stretch of time. And it's kind of comforting to see that Clark kind of feels the same way because he, you know, he's laying in his apartment. He's kind of, you know, he's grappling with that loneliness. And the next scene is uh, Pa standing out in the field, you know, farming. And Clark is just there. And he's just like, uh, pa immediately like knows it's him. He's just like, "Hey, you came back already," and he's just like, "How'd you know it was me?" And he's like, "Let me see here." And he says, "Mud, mud on city shoes has its own sound, and I know your footsteps anywhere, Clark." And there's this great, you know, hug that they get to have, and it really put into perspective for me coming back home after being in Los Angeles for a while, um, just how 
just how comfortable uh, Smallville, just how comfortable Tucson felt. Um, I'm not saying that Tucson is anywhere near as small as Smallville, but, you know, comparatively, going from Tucson to L.A. was very much just like going from Smallville to Metropolis. And just like when Clark would come back to Smallville, coming back to Tucson uh, is comforting. I'm getting ready to do that, you know, as we speak. You know, I'm getting all of my stuff together to go back for Christmas for, you know, for a week to finish out the year. And there's this, you know, feeling of, yeah, you know, I get to go to all, you know, all the places that I remember granted, not all of them because COVID is going on and, you know, we have to deal with all of that, but, um, going back to Tucson is always comfortable. It's always like, I know the streets, I know, you know, the places, I know the people. And so it's, you know, it's comforting to go there but at the same time i remember coming back uh and every time that i visited tucson something's changed and it feels weird when you have this kind of image of your hometown and when you come back it's changed i think unless you've stayed in your hometown your whole life you know everyone has that moment where they come home you know for the holidays or to visit and they're just like whoa when did that happen or when did that building get built or when did this road get paved like there's this strange passage of time that seems to feel like no time has passed and yet too much time has passed when you go back and visit. And that is exactly what Clark kind of deals with when he comes back. He finds out that Lana, you know, doesn't live in Smallville anymore and she left a little bit after he did, didn't really tell her, tell him. Um, and he, you know, says, you know, I haven't seen Lana in a while, in, he says, years and um, he's just kind of like grappling with this idea of change. He goes with Pete back to the, you know, the diner where they sit down and they have their milkshakes. And um, we get this uh, we get this interesting interaction where Pete kind of lets uh, Pete kind of without meaning to, I think, let's slip a bit of his jealousy that Clark got out and Pete hasn't yet. And it's this, again, it's this weird, uh, it's this weird feeling, you know, when you go back and you see, you know, your friends that are happy and they are, you know, living their lives day to day. And you just feel like why, you know, you start to question, you know, why did I feel the need to leave? Why did I feel the need to leave here? And has it changed or have I changed too much to get that feeling back? And uh, Clark has this conversation with Ma where he's basically like, um, it's just even with all the good time, all the good I've done, sometimes I, f I seem out of place in the city. And I always thought Smallville would feel like home. But now it's different here, too. And she says, you know, it's all all part of growing up, Clark. It isn't always easy. It isn't always fun. And isn't that the truth? But you'll find your own way. You always have. And the next uh the very next scene is back in Metropolis, there's this chemical fire going on, and it looks like while Clark has been gone visiting his parents, uh, Lex Luthor has gotten a little proactive and has made these, like, automated drones that are going to uh, different disasters, different uh, incidents, and trying to do Superman's job for him. And so Superman shows up, and he's just like, the hell is this? And the little... You know, robot drones are like, LexCorp has the situation under control, Superman. Everyone has been evacuated. We suggest you leave the scene. 
And Superman straight up just swats this thing. It goes flying, and he does his own look. He uses his x-ray vision and finds that, of course, everyone has not been evacuated. There is a woman who needs saving. He dives in there, wraps her, wraps his blanket around her, and rescues her, taking her out of the building, bringing her to some uh, local EMTs. And this prove this will prove to be a pivotal moment in the rest of the story because this woman is um, going to pl- play a major part in the seasons to come. So Superman goes back. He takes the fire out, does this incredible, this uh, so good. Tim Sale's art is ridiculous. Um, basically taking the fire and extinguishing it in the nearby sea. And so he basically like looks at these drones. He's like, go home with your tail between your legs. A woman almost died from your carelessness. If it happens again, I'll hold Luthor personally responsible. And Lois, of course, is first on the scene. And she's interviewing the woman who uh, Superman saved. And she's like, you know, Miss Vaughn, if there's anything you could say to Superman, what would it be? Um, And the response is the Daily Planet's next headline, which is, in quotes, he is my angel. And unfortunately, this admiration of Superman will uh, lead to some unfortunate business. Because uh, the next scene is Lex going to meet with this woman at uh, at her home in her apartment. And... He comes to find out, you know, he walks in and she's essentially set up this shrine to him. And he's basically, um, he says to her, uh, well, I've read your about your fascination with Superman and how you're a gifted chemist. And she says, uh, Superman, he's my angel. You know, I dream about him every night. And he says, then together, my dear, we can help Superman in ways you've only dreamed of. And Lois finishes off the uh, narration by saying, there isn't a day when I don't think about Perry's three rules. And even though a Superman flies in the face of them, literally, as long as I believe everything I write, I'll sign my name to it by Lois Lane. Um, so good. So good. But again, this is a story of uh, Superman trying to do his best in the situation that he's given. He knows that times change. He knows that, you know, it's hard to really find your place in the world. But if you continue on your course, you will find it. And that's something that I really uh, related to because it was hard out here. You know, figuring out the right things to say, figuring out who to meet, how to meet them. You know, what are the steps to uh, being an actor in Los Angeles? And... Um, it's one day at a time. You know, Clark basically says it when Pete is uh, asking about, he's like, have you met Lex Luthor? And Clark's like, yeah. He's just like everybody else. He puts his pants on one leg at a time. And it's like, it's that sentiment of like, no matter where you come from, you take things one step at a time. Which brings us to Fall, part three. And this is a, this is probably the darkest out of all of the parts. Um, it's narrated by appropriately Lex Luthor and it starts off really interesting. It's Luthor being checked into Metropolis PD, uh, and, and not checked in like, Oh, come right this way. It's checked in as he's getting fingerprinted, his, uh, mug shots being taken. And the narration goes, this is a love story, not between a man and a woman, but between a man and a city, my city, Metropolis, like all good love stories. It's full of betrayal anger, 
tragedy and revenge and so we find that you know superman basically um he's uh ta -ta 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 -ta. after you know having all of these terrible things i'm assuming you know time has passed um luthor finally you know got arrested and now he is you know coming out of the um coming out of you know the precinct and lois is of course there she's of course the first person there um he's just like you know we're gonna put this place behind we're gonna put this behind us i'm gonna you know figure this out and his narration is like i poured my life into this city i gave it a personality a look a kind of elegance she was my fair lady and i've grown accustomed to her face and lois says be sure to get that look in luthor's eyes jimmy superman may have thought getting lex arrested was a cute stunt but in shaming lex he may have gone too far and Jimmy, because he's Jimmy, says, Oh, what's Luthor? Why is that the voice I go for him? Oh, uh, what's Luthor going to do about it, Miss Lane? I mean, Superman is, gosh, super. And we see that, you know, Superman is not letting up. He is not letting up and letting Luthor know, like, I am watching you. This is my city now. It's not your city anymore. And so we find out that, you know, Lex is, you know, getting, you know, kind of uh basically uh cleaned up he's you know spent the night in jail and so he's getting a shave one of his assistants actually accidentally you know cuts him and he's you know oddly uh calm about it uh the next page is basically him like going through all these different plans rolling them up throwing them in the garbage and then he turns at night as the day has passed and sees superman floating out of his window and this is a classic trope of super of lex sitting at his desk in lex tower or lex core tower turning around and seeing superman arms crossed floating outside the window classic it's amazing and once again tim sale kills it uh but after they have their little you know basically lex monologues him he uh he says i'd invite you in for a drink but i imagine that someone like you doesn't imbibe pity a good stiff drink might do you some good long before you appeared on the scene i was here i built metropolis up from an ordinary town into the most powerful city in the world enjoy the public's little infatuation with their new mascot while you can fame is fleeting but lex luthor is forever and as we come to find out, Lex is already on the path to making sure that Superman's uh, goodwill with the city is fleeting because he is brainwashing uh, Miss Vaughn from the previous uh, from the previous story, turning her uh, obsession with him against him. So we cut back to the Daily Planet. Lois is like reading his uh, a letter that he's you know, getting ready to send to, uh, to Mon Pa when all of a sudden she kind of passes out. And, and so does everyone in the building, you know, Superman rushes out and finds that the entire city has been poisoned. The air is poisoned. And somehow he is, you know, because of his physiology, he is able to, um, be immune to it. So he rockets, it's this great, he, he jumps into this elevator shaft, you know, pulling off his Clark Kent clothes as he falls. And then the elevator door opens and he just boom, just bolts out in just a streak of, uh, red, gold, and blue. And he is flying. He is trying to find anything that he can. He knows that there's going to be stuff wrong if everyone in the city is, like, passing out. And he manages to uh, stop this bullet train from 
crashing because of course the driver passed out too uh he stops the train he's you know he's trying to figure out you know what's going on what's happening and it's accompanied by this amazing uh luthor narration where he's like this time there will be no one for him to bully like a dalmatian uh like a dalmatian tied to the front of an empty fire engine smelling the smoke pulling ferociously at the leash barking at the wind with no one to answer there will be no one left to say thank you no crowds to cheer his good intentions no child's smile to brighten his day and you see that there's a bit of truth to this because clark i think at this point having been superman and gotten the adulation of the city you know is used to you know stopping a train and then listening to the crowd cheering and there's nothing there's this eerie silence and so we see uh clark go to star labs he is working with you know someone who has um uh coincidentally you know essentially like locked herself into this um safe space and so you know she's trying to develop a cure to it superman is basically you know talking to uh talking to her like how can we do this how can we get the antidote out and he realizes it's luthor so he flies up to Luthor's um, to Luthor's building, and once again, you know, Luthor is basically you know monologuing at him, and he's like, um, da, 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 da. he's he's. <laughs> it starts off. Luthor is just this this close up on his face. He's like, you can't come in, and he turns around, and Superman's again floating outside of his uh, outside of his office, and Lex is like, I'm fairly certain you can hear me with those heightened senses of yours. I've quarantined the building. I've got entire floors of people who need medical care. And Clark or Superman says, why weren't you affected? And Lex says, uh, certain floors are kept within a controlled environment. Can't be too careful with terrorists. A better question would be, why aren't you affected? Superman says, what do you mean? And Lex says, I mean, however your powers are manifested, scientifically, biologically, or perhaps alien in nature. And that catches Clark's ear. He says, who's to say that you aren't the carrier of the virus? The metropolis, or perhaps all of mankind's face, or perhaps all of mankind faces extinction because of coming into contact with you. And Superman says, and who's to say you aren't the cause behind all this madness, that you haven't exposed the entire city to some kind of military chemical weapon? If I were to crash through this glass and drag you out here, how long before some LexCorp employee would appear with the antidote? But I can't take that chance. I can't be like you, Luthor. So I'm asking you, can you help? And again, this really paints the picture of why Lex and Superman are so different. Uh, Lex is willing to poison the city to make a point, and yet Superman isn't willing to um, isn't willing to bank on the gamble of exposing Lex in the in the slight possibility that he might be the problem. And so Lex says, you know, uh, fortunately there's hope, and he unveils Miss Vaughn. You know, this, he says, this is Miss Jenny Vaughn. You remember her during the summer, but you meet a lot of people, don't you? She wants to help. A biochemist, she has concocted a unique mixture of chemicals, which have, if administered into the clouds, and Superman's immediately like, yeah, fine, let's do this, let's do this. And uh, Superman's like, fine, give me the chemicals. And Luthor basically says, no, she has to deliver the chemicals. She's the only person who can, who is trained to deal with them. 
And so, you know, Superman is like, you know, Miss Vaughn, I can't knowingly endanger the life of another. And she's like, I'm aware of that. And it's Toxin. Uh, she's been brainwashed. She's got a cape. She's got a whole, you know, costume and this giant, you know, like chemical gun. Um, she's like, Toxin, it's my name, like Superman. Uh, and so she is carried by Superman up into the clouds where she dispenses the antidote, goes into the clouds. The clouds start raining. The rain is able to, uh, transmit the antidote throughout the city. Uh, everyone starts to wake up. And as, you know, Superman is kind of bringing, uh, toxin as, uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> our, my uh, my roommate's cat is I don't know if you could hear that but he's he he's a talker, um, but basically he goes and you know brings uh, Miss Vaughn or Toxin back to the roof and she's he's like you know you've done a terrific job Toxin and she's like really oh you can't know how much that means to and she collapses and he said and the Luthor uh, narration is like my father beat me repeatedly intent on making me cry I did not cry I looked up my father right in the face until he was done in the end it did hurt him more than it hurt me i learned from my father to always give people what they want but always for a price and clark you know holds uh toxin's lifeless body in his arms and he says her heart it stopped and you know lex walks out with a little umbrella um, and you see in the back that, you know, just like Clark had said, there's a LexCorp employee standing behind him with a medical bag. So he had the antidote the whole time. And Lex is like, my medical staff will handle it from here, Superman. Poor thing. Overexposure to the very virus that she cured. She'll be missed. A true hero. They say you can change the course of mighty rivers, but you have so little understanding of how fragile the human condition is. How easily a life, all life, can be lost. But the most powerful man in the world means nothing if you're all alone. No one knows that better than I. Go back to wherever you came from before you fail us all. And so, um, this is where I'm going to get a little personal here. Uh, Superman kind of deals with, you know, this idea of uh, power powerlessness and tragedy. Um, he's never suffered a loss like this before. And... Um, Getting ready to prep for this uh, this episode, um, I kind of uh, I had a moment in the past you know month or so where I felt powerless in the same way. Um, I mentioned it before on the podcast, not in any of the segments or anything, but um, uh, the morning of Thanksgiving, I was you know coming out of my building to go to work because you know if you work in a restaurant even during COVID. We're going to, you know, you work all holidays. And coming out of the building, I was hit by a car. Uh, thankfully, I was in the car. Uh, I was in a car as well. Uh, the other driver didn't see me. Um, but she wasn't hurt. I wasn't hurt. I, I was a little banged up. Uh, my head kind of bounced off of my window because I was, you know, I was clipped on the side. Um, but... There's nothing that some uh, ibuprofen and some, you know, a couple good nights sleep definitely helped. But um, I felt completely powerless in that moment. Like nothing, I, you know, had to climb out of the uh, left side of my, out of the passenger door of my car and, because the 
door on the driver's side wouldn't open. It was a scary, scary moment. And the days that followed that were uh, filled with just a lot of um, sadness and a lot of uh, feelings of powerlessness. This year has been very uh, heavy on everyone. And I am very fortunate to uh, be able to say that, you know, no one that I am, you know, directly related to has, you know, lost their lives or anything due to COVID. Um, And I was very fortunate to be able to work, even though it was at a very limited capacity. Uh, My partner, she's still working full time because she works at... um, a, uh, an animal shelter. And so um, I was very fortunate this year where a lot of people haven't been so much. And this was kind of the moment where I, you know, felt incredibly lost. I felt incredibly powerless. Um, that same weekend, they shut down all of the restaurants. So I was not only out of a car because the car was totaled, I was now out of a job as well, at least for my day job. Um, so the last couple weeks since then have been very scary for me. Um, I spent a lot of my days just kind of waking up, um, lounging around the house, feeling really lost and depressed. Uh, seasonal depression is a thing and I know that I've gone through it. Depression is a thing that I struggle with, uh, fairly regularly, but this was, um, this was hard. It was very difficult to get the motivation to do things, to talk to people, to um, do this podcast. It was very difficult. And I uh, kind of retreated into myself uh, for the last couple weeks as I tried to figure out, you know, what my next step was. And in this story, um, Clark kind of does the same thing. After um, Toxin dies and Luthor basically all but directly says like you're you know you couldn't save her it's your fault she died um he returns to smallville he basically he shows up on the porch of ma and pa's house and he's like i think i need to stay here in smallville for a while and we see that clark has lost hope and that he is in kind of his darkest hour and through as much as this year has sucked you know i have gone through all kinds of things this year as well this these past couple weeks were the hardest for me that uh that they've been not knowing like hey am i gonna have enough money throughout the rest of the year um am i gonna be able to find a car am i gonna you know have to deal with all of this stuff um it was scary i was having a really tough time and i had a hard you know i i have a hard time reaching out to people asking like hey i'm feeling like shit i need help um and so, uh, again, I was very fortunate my partner was here for me. She, uh, I wouldn't have made it through the last, you know, month. I wouldn't have made it through this year without her. And um, she was able to give me the support and the time that I needed to, you know, assess everything. Um, kind of the same way that Clark, you know, went back home. I was able to, you know, find comfort at home with her. And so... Um, this kind of brings us into winter, uh, the final part, which uh, brings us to the perspective of Lana Lang. 
uh, as we get into this part, um, back into the story, uh, we see that some time has passed. We see the same kid who was, I think it's the same kid, who uh, Clark saved from falling off the ledge that one day is still playing on ledges because, you know, kids kids don't learn. We know this for a fact. They're not, they're not going to learn, uh, but as he's you know playing up on the ledge he is accosted by one of the luthor robot drones uh by the way quick side note i love the designs of these that they are pretty much just the lex lex uh battle suit but just as a full-on robot um and basically he's instituted martial law lex luthor during the time that superman has been away has just completely shut the city down uh he like you know this robot like points this gi- this giant robotic finger in this kid's face he's like citizen stay inside LexCorp is concerned for your safety and the kid is just like uh, okay and he just like runs back inside but uh the city has continued to change and it is you know lex basically you know feeling so pleased with himself and as the uh as this is going on, as we're kind of fi- figuring out what's going on with the city, uh, Lana Lang's narration is going, uh, is kind of explaining essentially kind of like where she's at and where she's been this entire time. Uh, it reads, I've never, I never told anyone how right after graduation, Clark took me to a field, held my hand. I remember trembling. He was so excited as if whatever he had to say was going to be the best thing in the world. He was going to ask me to marry him. I was so sure of it. Everything I ever wanted was going to come true, but that's not what happened. Clark lifted us off the ground. I don't mean like he was giving me a boost to climb into our treehouse. We went up into the sky like a bird or a plane. It didn't make any sense. Even a 17-year-old girl from Smallville, Kansas knows that a man can't fly. But there we were, up over Pete Ross's house and the Kent Farm, and, and all my hopes and dreams and prayers came crashing down. Clark went on to talk about how he had these amazing powers and how he could help people, and and I wasn't even listening, really. I kept hoping that I'd suddenly wake up in my bed, and it was just some terrible nightmare, and I could sneak over to Clark's house and tell him all about it, and we'd laugh because he couldn't really fly. He couldn't, but Clark could too fly. It took me a long time to understand what happened that night, and more important, why it happened. Clark didn't mean to frighten me or disappoint me or make me angry or any of the other things I've had to work through. Clark was doing what best friends and only best friends do for each other. He shared with me his greatest secret, that Clark Kent is Superman. While all this is going on, by the way, Lois is noticing that uh, Clark left right around the same time as Superman did. And she's, you know, basically kind of going over it in her head, you know, like, uh, Smallville picked a very convenient time to take some personal holidays. All this is if you knew that in the dead of winter, every thing around here would be just as dead no big stories no splashy headlines no superman and she sits down and she starts you see the gears start to turn and she's like how would you possibly know where superman was or wasn't going to be unless there's this brief moment where you know a light bulb hits and then she look you know she picks up clark kent's uh little name tag thing and she's like lois lane that is the stupidest idea in the world and i love it I love that so much. It makes me so happy. Lois Lane, you know, 
I think I love the idea that either Lois knew it all along or she willfully was ignorant that she basically said, you know, maybe Clark had Superman. No, that's stupid. And, and she just abandoned it. She never went further on it because she was so dismissive of Clark and so enamored with Superman. So I've always loved that. But uh, during this time, you know, we cut back to Smallville and Lana is back to visit. You know, the two of them are kind of going, you know, reconnecting for the first time. And uh, she says, you know, can I ask you something? And he says, you don't have to ask if you can ask me, just ask me. She says, why are you back here? You don't seem quite right. But he says, I'm trying to figure a bunch of stuff out. She says, you mean like Superman stuff? Clark, you can do anything. And he kind of looks down. He's like, can I? And he's not, you know, in business clothes anymore. He's not in, you know, a suit. He is in his Letterman jacket. He is kind of regressed back into himself. Uh, back into who he was before Superman. Before Metropolis. And him and uh him and lana walk back to the uh walk back into town and they find pete waiting for them at the little general store diner place and so three of them walk in and we get this uh this conversation uh basically we address the fact that pete never left he never left smallville like lana and clark did and he's bitter about it and it sucks uh, basically, he says, you know, what's gone into me? Why don't you ask Kent? And Clark's like, what did I do? And Pete says, nothing. You did nothing. You go out into the big wide world, the both of you, and you come back here to, of all places, Smallville, capital S as in small. And you want to know what the worst part of it is? You can't even see how wrong that is. And I think that's the worst fear of anyone who moves away from their small town. Uh, even if it's not that small, even if it's just a hometown that you really want to leave. Um, the idea of having to come back, uh, not having achieved what you set out to achieve is scary. It's terrifying. Um, and that is a fear that I have grappled with since the day we packed up our stuff and moved out here every day since, you know, what is going to happen? What are we going to do? What, you know, what if... I fail. What if I have to go back and I have to, you know, go back as a failure? Um, and that's nothing that like I would ever think of anybody else, but like it's it's something that I would think of me because of course you know everyone's their harshest critic, and there is no one who is a harsher critic of me than myself. Uh, that's just the facts. But basically, uh, Clark is grappling with. You know, the idea of maybe I don't have to be more. Maybe I don't have to get back on the saddle. Maybe I can go back into being comfortable. Maybe I can go back into, you know, holding on to the past. And I don't have to deal with change. I don't have to deal with being wrong. I don't have to deal with failing. And that was something that I had to deal with. Something that I had to... Basically, you know, like I said, I retreated into myself the past couple weeks where I've just been very, like, to myself, not talking to people. Um, There's this awful moment where someone was, you know, a, a very good friend was trying to check on me. Um, and I just kind of, you know, dismissed them. And I still feel awful about that. Um, but it's this, you know, kind of 
disassociating yourself from the world around you, which I think a lot of people uh, have done, you know, with COVID and quarantine and everything. But uh, this uh, comfortability, this going back home uh, is shaken up because of the flood. Uh, Clark, during this time, while still, you know, going to a place of comfort, a place that he feels safe, is dealing with all of his doubts, all of his hopelessness, all of his, um, for lack of a better word, depression. And it all kind of comes to the forefront when they get a knock on their door late at night. And the chief of the Smallville Police Department is basically like, hey, I don't want to, you know upset you guys but the storm the storm is coming down pretty heavy and the reservoir nearby is running over the river's spilling out everywhere he's like you know everyone's gonna go over to the church um to kind of wait it out just letting you guys know that you probably want to head over there and it is storming outside and they're like hey chief why don't you come inside you know get warm for a little bit he's like sorry i I have to go talk to other people you gotta see a lot of folks to let them know what's going on. And Clark is basically faced with this um, with this moment of what do you do? What is he going to do? Is he going to continue to let this, um, let this loss define him? Is he going to let the depression wash over him like a flood? I know that's a terrible uh, metaphor, but, um, or, an, or assembly or whatever. Um, or is he going to find the strength to keep going? And basically, um, everyone knows what Clark needs to do. Everything knows what um, what Clark should do, but no one knows what Clark will do. And Lana's, you know, looking out the window, you know, looking at the rain coming down outside. And uh, Jonathan says, you know, if we need to, we'll set out at daybreak. Till then, we'll be all right. Right, Clark? And Clark, you know, is like, yes, sir. Um, and the narration from Lana continues, I don't know exactly why it happened. Maybe it was just the tone in his father's voice, but all at once I understood how Clark was feeling. And Lana just, like, blurts out, nothing like having a son who can change the course of mighty rivers. And both of the kids are like, what? And Clark's like, she knows. And, you know, that's the moment where he kind of, like, reveals to her, reveals to his parents, like, yeah, Lana knows what's going on. And the narration continues, how the whole world was resting on his shoulders, and maybe, just maybe, they weren't big enough to carry the load. You know, Clark goes back up to his bedroom, and it's this, you know, final shot of him back in his room. It's changed a little bit, you know, because he's been away, but this is where he kind of feels comfortable. And in the last couple weeks, you know, I have retreated to my room many a time to just lay in my bed and just feel you know for lack of a better term feel sorry for myself um lana continues maybe standing in that field with that maybe standing in that field that night telling me how with all his special powers he would help as many people as he could maybe it wasn't such a good idea or at least not nearly as easy as the boy who could fly thought and he says you know he's talking to pa who's you know leaning on his uh or was leaning into the doorway. And he's like, Pa, I began to think that I could do anything. And I can't. And Pa says, well, my first year, when the corn came up, it was the talk of the county. 
and I got wrong-headed enough to believe that every harvest would be a prize winner. Next year, two fields went fallow. It's not nearly as hard learning you have limitations as it is learning how to work with them. Over time, I'd like to think I became a pretty damn good farmer. Over time, son. And... It's followed up by this scene, and I just, I love, I love everything about this scene. Um, Lana is obviously staying with them for the night. She's, you know, sitting out of a blanket on the couch for herself. And uh, she's talking to Ma, and she's basically like, uh, Ma says, I'm glad Clark could share his secrets with you. Lana says, it has its moments. And Ma replies, I'm sure it does. You know, Lana, the right woman can often help the right man find the answers he's looking for. And Lana says, I don't know if a girl from Smallville has very many answers for a Superman. And Ma corrects her. She says, Clark, you of all people know that whether or not he wears a cape and a big red S on his chest, he's still our Clark. And that really stuck with me because that was two people who had kind of lost faith in the world and kind of you know, lost faith in themselves, coming to the realization at the exact same time that even in the darkest of times, you have to keep going. You have to keep going. Um, she continues, The next morning I saw it for the first time up close, even under the coat, that big red S stood out. Probably the first time Clark's put on the suit since all of this, or since the incident with Toxin. And he's, you know, helping load Ma and Pa into the, into the truck, loading their stuff. And uh, Lana kind of, you know, shoes Shelby, their dog, to get into the truck. And uh, Lana says, you're going to be all right. And Clark says, I'm the one who usually asks that. And she says, you didn't answer the question. And she says, Clark, I don't know what it's like to bend steel in my bare hands. Or run faster than a speeding bullet. But I do know what it's like to have my whole life planned out in my head and then have it all yanked out from under me. He tries to, you know, interject and she's like, just shut up and listen. You may be able to do things nobody else can do, but that doesn't make it any less hard to be who you want to be. And in case you're wondering, the boy I grew up with who was so noble and caring, he's still inside that costume today. Go make things safe, Superman. And she kisses him again. Ah, uh, this um, this scene is. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't think this was gonna be like this. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm getting like super personal and super emotional during this. Uh, it's it's been a tough couple weeks. Um, but uh, this is a conversation that my partner has had with me. Um over the years and especially in the last couple of weeks where it's basically saying one moment does not define you. You are not your failures. Your failures do not define you. And um, I think all of us need to know that now and then. All of us need to know that people make mistakes. We're all human, even Superman. And that doesn't mean that you are any less worthy of love um, whether that's from other people or especially from yourself, you go out there and you do what you believe you were made to do, period. And what Clark, what Superman, 
was made to do was make things safe. Uh, we cut to Smallville, which is basically the streets are rivers now. And you see these three guys. They've been, you know, in and out throughout the uh, throughout the series as these guys kind of playing, you know, cards and dice and games in the general store while, uh, while Lana, Clark, and Pete would come in for their milkshakes. And the three of them are just in this little boat. And they're like, you know, Bert, Morris, I'm telling you fellas, this is hopeless. Hopeless! And there's this great just two-page panel where uh, one of the other guys says, I don't know, Tom, I see hope. And you see Superman just being freaking Superman, flying past them, arms outstretched, colors flying. And he's he says to himself, all right, Lana, I'll make things safe. And he goes and he's picking up trees, you know, using them to block the dam picking up all kinds of, you know, boulders and moving mountains to make things safe and to make things um, better. And, you know, meanwhile, everyone's driving through and there is a moment when the water breaks through, uh, breaks through nearby and the truck that was carrying Ma, Pa, Lana, and their dog Shelby uh, is overturned by the force of the river. Uh, Clark is able to rescue his parents. He's able to rescue Lana, and he sets them down, and um, or he sets the truck down carrying uh, Ma and Lana, and he goes out to find Pa because he got washed away by the river. He's able to scoop him out of the river and uh, is able to set him down. And he's like, you know, it's all right now. The worst is over. Where's Shelby? And he's, you know, he has to go find his dog, man. Ah. Um, luckily, he does end up finding Shelby. He's able to find his dog. And the uh, the narration continues. No one would give it a second thought how Chief Parker came out on such a horrible night to warn us. This is this is the line. This is the narration. I just I'm gonna read this to you in full. Um, no one would give it a second thought how Chief Parker came out on such a horrible night to warn us. Any more than when a fireman rushes into a burning house, not so much to rescue someone, but to find out if there's anyone who needs rescuing. Every time a nurse bandages a wound, every time a pastor offers comfort every time a parent hugs their child. These are choices each of us makes not only to do good, but to inspire good in others. I finally realized while I was away how special it made me feel, because to understand that man in the cape who could fly, all I needed to know was Clark. And this is it. That's Superman. Like, anyone who says, oh, Superman's boring. Oh, Superman, you know, you know, I can't relate to him. The, the report earlier this year where it's like Warner Brothers just doesn't know how to make Superman relevant and that's it that right there is what Superman is he is the person who helps people not to help them but because people need helping he is there to inspire others he is there to do good in the hopes of inspiring others to do good he is an inspiration he is a symbol and he's also just Clark He's just a guy who was raised right and raised to know that if someone needs help, you help them. It's as simple as that. So um, 
this continues on back at the church. Uh, the pastor gives this great um, speech where he is basically talking about, you know, uh, property was damaged, no lives were lost. We were quite lucky that Superman was in the area. And, you know, he's wise. He's wise to it at this point. Um, and he says something that I think is uh, is relevant and timely. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Um in, these in times like these, it is often difficult to remember that through hardship we often find reward. That in times of crisis, how each man or woman is defined by how he or she acts. And while a tree may have its leaves turn brown and then go bare, there will come a spring. Where that very same tree will burst full of blooms, only stronger for the test of winter. We can be grateful for the seasons, no matter how cruel or harsh they may seem. For it is only through their passage that we can truly appreciate the future. Lana continues her, uh, her narration, basically saying, I went halfway around the world and I found out I never really left Smallville at all. It was more than just memories. This town was part of who I was and who I always would be. I guess Clark and I weren't so different after all. And Superman, you know, Clark heads back to Metropolis. She says, when Clark flew off to the city, I knew that we wouldn't see each other again for a while. He'd gone back to the rest of the world and that never-ending idea of using his powers to help as many people as he could. Um, and of course, Clark Kent shows back up to Daily Planet with the story, Superman Stops Flood. Um, Perry's like, you know, I'm proud of you, buddy. I wish all my reporters would take some time off and come back with a front-page story. And Lois is just like, how do you do it? She's so She's back into that, you know, envy, that professional envy. And in a very, you know, classic Superman moment, you know, Clark is fixing his ties like I don't know Lois just lucky I guess and you know we see that um, things are still not great and you know just like in the real world things have a long way to go before they're good or normal or safe again um, but it comes back to uh, the kid the kid from the very first part where he is once again chasing his cat on a ledge. I don't know how this cat keeps getting out and this kid keeps chasing after him. Where are his parents? Anyway, um, the kid, you know, goes to grab the, you know, gets his hands on the cat, but the little uh, LexCorp uh, sentry is like, Citizen! And it scares him and he falls off. And Superman catches him. And he looks straight at the, uh, at the drone. He's like, tell Luthor I'm back. And he sets the kid down, and the he's basically like, haven't we met before? He recognizes the kid. No matter how many people Superman saves, he recognizes all of them. Uh, the kid says, wow, you, uh, you remember. I'm Trevor, but everyone calls me Trev. And Clark says, good to meet you, Trev. Folks call me Superman. And he flies off. Um... Basically, uh, and then the last bit of narration here, uh, I know that Jonathan and Martha, like any good parents, worry about their son, you know, bringing it back around to the uh, Jonathan Kent chapter, but he's doing fine, and I suspect just about the best he can. Our best should all be as good. And that is Superman for all seasons. Superman figures out who he is, figures out who he's going to be, decides that he is going to 
deal with the trials and tribulations and he is going to still help people as best he can. Um, I am in no way going to equate the last couple weeks of my life as awful as they felt and as awful as they were to deciding one day that I am going to go save the world um, with my, you know, with the power to shift the course of mighty rivers. But um, a couple days ago, I kind of woke up and I made a conscious decision that I was going to move forward from it, that I had gotten over the accident, I had gotten over the um, terrible feeling that I had had since then, and I was going to move on with my life. I was going to um, stop looking at the world as things happening to me and look at the world as things that I can do. Um, And I think that that's why this story kind of hit me so hard you know getting back in the groove is difficult last couple of days i've been you know trying to get back into the swing of things that's why this episode is probably going to go up uh late if not a day late from the usual so i apologize um but uh it's a never-ending battle which is what Superman is about, fighting that never-ending battle to help people. And it doesn't have to be something gigantic. It doesn't have to be, you know, world-ending. But if you can make a choice every day to do enough good that you inspire others to do good, I think that we would all be better off for it. Uh, So in conclusion... Uh, This story really does put, as funny as it is to say, the man in Superman. Um, The story is about change. It's about the seasons changing. It's about, you know, lives changing. And it's about us acknowledging the fact that change is okay. Change sucks. Change um, uh, Change is inevitable. Change might be terrible, but change can also be good. Change can be okay. We all deserve to live our lives to the fullest, and we aren't able to do that without change. We aren't able to do that without uh, going through those trials and tribulations by facing adversity. Um, And I think with a year like 2020, I think a lot of people um, need to remember that. I, I certainly do. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing episode 7 of season 2 of The Mandalorian entitled Chapter 15, The Believer. And just like we talked about last week, this was a heist episode! I love heist stories. I just, I'm obsessed. I'm sorry if you don't like heist stories. I love heist stories. Um, And this was a big episode for that. First off, because Bill Burr returns from last season, uh, and Bill Burr ran away with the episode. You know this. If you've watched the episode, I don't need to tell you. Um, 
he was absolutely firing on all cylinders here. He's one of the best characters in the show, and I was so glad to see him um, to see him come back. Uh, the episode kicked off with some uh, super uh, Fallen Order vibes, you know, in a junkyard with all of the you know um, Empire ships. Kicks off the very same way that Cal Kestis's story does in that game. Um, we also saw that uh, Boba Fett cleans up real nice. He's shined and repainted his armor. It looks a little too clean right now, but I'm sure that that's going to change over time. But there's a great gag where he like comes out of his ship and Bilber's like, Oh, God, thank God. I thought you were another guy. And then Mando comes walking down the ramp and he's like, Oh, God. And you just, you could see the pain on his face. Bill Burr was fantastic. Um, big, you know, the things that I w- definitely want to talk about with this, there was another fantastic vehicle sequence. Basically, they have to go to um, to this uh, Imperial outpost to get information on how to find Moff Gideon. Uh, they have to uh, basically uh, take control of this transport, uh, take the... Uh, guards transporting it, uh, uniforms, drive it in, then access a terminal. Uh, we got to see just how much Mando is willing to sacrifice for uh, for Grogu, which is fantastic. Um, but the vehicle sequence, getting the shipment to the Imperial base was awesome. Just so freaking good. I think this was a... And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I think this was a Rifamuyo. Famuyo. Ah, God. I said that wrong. But you know who I'm talking about. He directed this episode, I'm pretty sure. And uh, it was fantastic. Basically, they were tr- they were beset upon by bandits. They had to figure things out. There's a great moment where Mando, you know, you find out that... Uh, I know I keep saying Mando. I know his name is Din Djarin. I, I'm going to continue to call him Mando. Uh, Mando basically has gotten comfortable with his Beskar armor. And he's willing, he's willing to just tank, you know, blaster fire. And so when he's getting, like, shot at and he's just taking the shots and his armor is just, like, breaking off. It's like, oh, oh, you got super comfortable and now you have to deal with that. So that was really cool. But they do make it in. It was awesome. Um, they do get in there, and we, for the first time this season, the second time in the series overall, we get to see Unmasked Mando! He has to remove his helmet to get a facial scan so he can access the terminal, um, and he has regrown his mustache, um... Lots of memes and a lot of people poking fun at the fact that, you know, if, if Mando never takes his helmet off, why does he groom his facial hair so well? But whatever. It was great to see him. Uh, hopefully this puts to bed the uh, the rumors about um, about the actor not, you know, or leaving the show or whatever. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, but it was great to see him. It was just, it was awesome to see him, like, in the flesh, so to speak. Uh, it was even just as good was the sequence with that scumbag Imperial officer. Um, I knew he was trouble immediately because he also killed the Waynes in the Nolan trilogy. So um, never trust Joe Till, Joe chill. I don't care how sorry he is, but great sequence um, where Bill Burr is confronted. I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep calling him Bill Burr. Uh, Bill Burr is confronted by the superior officer that, uh, he served under when he was serving in the Empire. And you can see that this messed him up. This was a lot. Uh, there's a great monologue that he gives about, you know, 
you say we're doing it for the greater good you know do the people we burn feel that way do the you know soldiers that i served with that lost their lives feel that way so great stuff he ends up shooting the guy fantastic um and we do see that there is in fact honor among thieves when uh bilber basically says i never saw your face put your helmet back on i never, I never saw your face great stuff so good uh, which you know preceded them having to shoot their way out of the base which was fantastic as well and then the episode you know ends with mando sending a message to moff gideon basically um word for word recounting to him the threat that moff gideon made at the you know when he was introduced basically saying you have something that i want you have no idea what it means to me and i'm coming for you fantastic great great stuff um and we're on to the finale. Uh, Bilber was, you know, kind of set off into the wild uh, to, you know, kind of get out of his prison sentence, which was great. Again, Honor Among Thieves was fantastic. I love this episode. It was great stuff. Really amazing sequences. And I cannot wait. I am so hyped for next week's episode, which is the finale. Um, so I'm really excited about it. Uh, can't wait to see next week's episode. So tune in next week for the finale. But for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. Uh, but before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, it was by a country mile, honestly. It was uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal last days of the dc multiverse or the dc universe um i butchered the title i recognize that but it was my favorite book of the week it was so good it was an anthology story just talking about you know what everyone's getting up to before they uh probably go and die in death metal uh number six i haven't picked it up yet i don't know um but this was just a fantastic collection of stories by a kick-ass uh group of uh creators honestly it was the best wrap up to all of the lingering stuff from the new 52 from rebirth from heroes in crisis all of that stuff i loved it it was a fantastic book again like some of the most standout stuff from death metal has been the tie-ins it's not always but you couple this alongside speed metal and you've got yourself some amazing tie-ins and it made me excited to see what happens to these characters in the next um in the next stories of this uh of this big gigantic anti-crisis so uh that is my pick of the week but that's last week let's talk about this week this week we've got six books for you and we're gonna dive right into it with tales from the dark multiverse crisis on infinite earths this is written by steve orlando with art by mike perkins i am really excited about this i really dug the flashpoint uh book and this one is promising to be even better so let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here crisis on infinite earths when the anti-monitor's deadly struggle with the multiverse was finally foiled there was only one earth left but which earth 
That was crucial to what would happen next. In one timeline, Earth-1 Superman stopped the Superman of Earth-2 from going into the final battle. But in the Dark Multiverse, it's Jor-El of Earth-2 who survives, changing the landscape for all that follows. When Surtur comes looking to crush all life, the beleaguered heroes jump into their next big battle, jumping from one crisis to the next. But will the last days of the Justice Society of America play out differently if Green Lantern Alan Scott steps into the darkness. So this sounds really exciting. It's basically like what would happen if Earth 2 survived instead of Earth 1 following Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, just basically bringing all of the stuff that could go uh, from that into further crises. I think that's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to picking this book up. Next we have Batman number 105 written by James Tynan IV with art with art by uh, Danny Miki, Carlo Pagulian, uh, Christian Deuce, and Alvaro Martinez Bueno. If I said those wrong, I apologize. Uh, this is some kind of uh, some kind of finale, technically. I don't know. I don't think we're getting another Batman, uh, at least until after um, uh, Future State. So uh, this could be the final Batman before that. I don't know. Uh, let's check in with the let's let's check in with, with the uh, synopsis and find out. Ghost Stories Part Four. Batman battles Ghost Maker in the no holds barred bloody conclusion of this epic tale. Oh, see there you go. Winner take Gotham City, and the outcome is not what you're expecting. The future of Gotham City and the fate of Clown Hunter hang in the balance. I still think Clown Hunter is going to be Red X, but um, we'll see. I uh, I've been enjoying this. I do think that I don't need to see Ghost Hunter past this story. So if this is the end of his story, I'm okay with that. Clown Hunter's got a lot of potential, so uh, we'll just we'll have to wait and see what happens. Next up, we have Iron Man number four, written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Kafu. I've been enjoying it. I've been really liking this so far. Uh, I love the banter between uh, Tony Stark and uh, Wildcat. I think it's been fantastic. Wildcat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. But um, I also really kind of enjoy the weird sci-fi Corvax stuff. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Man with the Golden Arms. Korvac is on the loose, and Tony Stark is on the hook for it. Iron Man and Hellcat, Hellcat, fuck, uh, Hellcat were lucky to survive their first encounter with Korvac and his new disciples. But finding him and stopping him is proving an even greater challenge. Tony is reticent to let other hero allies in on the fact that he opened up a giant can of worms all on his own. But it might be a moot point given that Korvac has placed Tony under a very clever and threatening gag order. As Korvac powers down all of New York City in order to try and again go cosmic, Tony's forced to turn to lesser-known colleagues on the fringe in order to stop him. On adv one advantage he has, Hellcat is hearing things ever since their last encounter with Korvac. Strange things. Things that might overtake her entirely. So we'll see. Um, that sounds exciting to possibly get more street-level characters in here. Um, I'm looking forward to this. I've been enjoying it so far and can't wait to see what they do. Next up, we have Dark Knight's Death Metal number 6, written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo. Uh, I'm sure you're surprised that it's so far down the list. 
uh, considering it's been the uh, big book of the week for me for most of its run. But, you know, there's diminishing returns with the mainline death metal book. As I've stated before, I've been enjoying the tie-ins more, but um, it's still still solid, we'll say. Um, Let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here. An Anti-Crisis, Part 6, The Truth Machine. As the battle rage... The battle rages as the entire DC universe stands against the darkest night. Villains fight alongside heroes working as one to banish this demon from the deepest corners of the dark multiverse. Meanwhile, the Robin King lurks nearby, his army of groblins in wait. The dogs of war are loose, and no one is safe. I'm just going to say this, Groblins is so stupid. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Groblins is such a dumb name. Um, But... Uh, looking forward to this, if for no other reason than it's almost over and we can get more uh, exciting tie-ins to this that I've been enjoying. So uh, definitely looking forward to this. We next have Captain America, number 26, written by Tani Hesey Coates with art by Leonard Kirk. Really enjoying this book. Captain America 25 was fantastic. It was my pick of the week, I believe, when... Uh, 25 came out so hopefully 26 can continue on that momentum let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here all die young part seven red hulk so yeah pretty uh pretty pretty good um i love red hulk we just found out recently that um thunderbolt ross survived his assassination attempt which means of course red hulk is back so Looking forward to this. Looking forward to seeing how they wrap this up. I still don't know how much longer this book is going to go on, but uh, we'll see. But my big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is Nightwing number 77, written by Dan Jerkins with art by Ronan Cliquette. Um, It's Nightwing and Christmas. Like, what do you want from me? Of course this is going to be my big book of the week. I think you should be picking this up. The Nightwing stuff in the uh, last days of the dc multiverse is was fantastic i loved everything that he did the story where he you know marries barbara was fantastic spoilers but um yeah so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here abstract holidays christmas has come to gotham city and all across the city people have taken time out of their busy schedules to spend time with loved ones but dick grayson has found himself in the midst of a dilemma How can he take time off when crime never sleeps? And how can he spend time with loved ones when he has pushed them all away? An answer, in the form of a random encounter with a lost soul and kindred spirit, awaits him. So yeah, again, Dick Grayson, Christmas, what more do you want from me? I'm really excited about this. Um, I'm also really excited to see, you know, where Nightwing ends up post-Future State. Post-Future State is now a very exciting time for me. Um, But yeah, so that rounds out our uh, This Week's Comics Countdown. Let's go ahead and recap with Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Crisis on Infinite Earths number one, uh, Batman number 105, Iron Man number four, Dark Knight's Death Metal number six, Captain America number 26, and Nightwing number 77. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us here on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, uh, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. We're pretty much on everything. I'm sure I'm missing one, but uh, whichever podcasting app platform you're listening to this on, uh, feel free to subscribe to us. We drop episodes 
uh, weekly, every Wednesday. This is going to be an exception, I'm sure, but um, I'm going to try to get this out on Wednesday. It might be a late night upload, so just be aware. But um, every Wednesday is a new episode of the Geek Sewing Podcast. I talk about all the things that I am passionate about. Uh, as you can tell, if you listened all the way through to this episode, I get very passionate about things, especially when they uh, concern Superman. So if you want to hear more talks about me getting emotional about Superman, feel free to subscribe. Uh, also, you can follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Pod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. Uh, basically, if you just want to keep up with us, keep up with the podcast, uh, stay up to date on all the happenings when it comes to uh, guests we might have, polls I'm throwing up, um, I love engaging with you guys. I love talking to you guys. Uh, you can also, uh, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, have your questions read out here on the podcast, feel free to send them to geeksplained at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header. Um, I love engaging with you guys. I love, uh, talking to you guys about all kinds of things. That's what this show is about. So if you want my opinion on something, you want to ask a question, um, you need some uh, comic book knowledge or you want me to give like a quick pitch. I've done all of those in the Geeksplain mailbag before, so feel free to send all of those to our email. Um, also, I would really appreciate it if you could uh, give us a rating and review. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know how I'm doing. Uh, this podcast is, of course, by a geek for geeks, and getting feedback is always helpful. We are we are coming up in, uh, I believe, March on our three-year anniversary. That's kind of wild. Um, so uh, I would love if you could uh, give us a rating, give us a review. It really just raises the stock of this podcast, raises us up in the uh, podcasting podcast. Uh, atmosphere gets us into the orbit of listeners just like you and if you give us a five-star rating and review on itunes apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it uh, i will read it here on the podcast you can write whatever you want if you give me that uh five-star rating and review i will read that uh that specific uh review here uh you can join the likes of seafire nd josh from panels to pixels and matt draper so Big thanks to those three gentlemen for their ratings and reviews, and I can't wait to hear yours. Uh, and that's going to do it pretty much for this week's episode. Uh, we are nearing the end of the uh, end of the year. This is the final Geeksplain podcast of the year. 2020 is almost over. We're almost there. Um, so I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Uh, the next couple weeks... Um, are going to be a little bit of a change up to the normal Geek Explained format. I mentioned it earlier in the uh, news segment that uh, th that there will be no news segments for the next two weeks. So anything that happens, I will catch up on that for our first episode in January. And um, we also, depending on what's going on, um, I'll see about a weekly review. I might just take it off. We'll see. Our last episode's really fun. I'm really excited about it for this year. Um, but, uh, so yeah, uh, next week's episode, I'm really excited to talk about next week, uh, to celebrate the season. It's going to be Christmas week. So what better than to talk about one of my favorite Christmas specials of all time, something that was an important part of my childhood 
a Charlie Brown Christmas. So next week, I'm going to be geek-splaining a Charlie Brown Christmas, talking about uh, how it came together. It is a kind of a wild story, so I'm really excited to talk to you guys about it, share in our um, celebration of the season, and also maybe if I if time permits, maybe we'll do a watch-along. We'll see. I've done audio commentary on this podcast before for various things, but um, I would love to do it for that. I watch it every single year, so why not just record what I'm saying while I'm watching it? So uh, tune in next week. Uh, Same geek time. Well, probably different geek time, but same geek channel for our episode on a Charlie Brown Christmas. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. (laughs) 